This is program C, 746, and I welcome you to another week of Into the Word, where we are working our way through the intertestamental period right now. Spending a few weeks talking about that period of time between the close of the Old Testament sacred writings and the beginning of the New Testament sacred writings. I like to spend some time going through this period because it is the fulfillment of several places in the book of Daniel. And I've tried to highlight those places as we've gone through. The biggest, most significant thing is the huge crisis that took place in the 2nd century BC with the rise of Antiochus IV in 175 BC and how he pretty much joined forces with renegade Jews, Jews that wanted to throw off their faith, their religion of old, and take on a Greek character and a Greek religion. And because of all of that, we end up with the fulfillment of the abomination of desolation. We also see the rise of those that understand the times and how they reestablish the worship in 164 BC. And now we're looking at how that didn't solve the problem completely. There's still more to this crisis. And I want to start today with the arrival in the country of Syria of Demetrius. And this is all taking place in 161 BC. Now, Demetrius was the 10-year-old nephew that Antiochus IV usurped back in 175. So here he is. He's now in his 20s. His uncle is dead. And Demetrius arrives and decides he wants the throne that was rightfully his. And he starts uh, fighting against his own cousin, who ends up being assassinated uh, very quickly. The Jewish connection to this is that we have a man from the high priestly line who steps forward and asks Demetrius for the right to take over the high priesthood in Judea. And this man is not a righteous man. He is a Hellenist. He is a man that wants to continue the practice of changing the Jewish culture into a Greek culture. And so this is the next part of the story, and we're taking it from 1 Maccabees chapter 7, if you would like to read some of the stuff for yourself. 1 Maccabees 7, 5. Then there came to Demetrius all the renegade and godless men of Israel. So these would be the Jews that want to throw off Judaism. They were led by Alchemus, who wanted to be high priest. They brought to the king this accusation against the people. And here's their quote. Yehuda, now that's Judas Maccabee that he's talking about. Yehuda and his brothers have destroyed all your friends and have driven us out of our land. Now then, send a man whom you trust. Let him go see all the ruin that Yehuda has brought on us and on the land of the king and let him punish him 
them and all who help them. So here you have alchemists, a Jewish line, a Jewish priest of the Aaron line, asking a Greek king, a Macedonian Syrian, kick out the religious Jews and let us get back in there because we're the legitimate Jews. And this be a good reminder here. Jew is a reference to an ethnic group as well as sometimes a religious group. And so we have to make a distinction here. Uh, these guys want to be cultural Jews, but they don't want to be religious Jews in that sense that uh, Judas has been trying to promote. So what does Demetrius do? Verse 8. So the king chose Bacchides, one of the king's friends, governor of the province beyond the river. So the guy that is kind of looking over things down here um, in the area that includes Judea. He was a great man in the kingdom and was faithful to the king. He sent him and with him he sent the ungodly Alchemus, whom he had made high priest, and he commanded him to take vengeance on the Israelis. So they marched away. They came with a large force into the land of Judah, and he sent messengers to Yehuda and his brothers with peaceable but treacherous words. And we've seen this process before, where there are peaceful overtures made, and then if you believe it, you get stabbed in the back. Well, Judas is not going to fall for that. Verse 11, But they paid no attention to their words, for they saw that they had come with a large force. Uh, so that's Judah's response is, I'm not paying attention to this. But, verse 12 reports, Then a group of scribes appeared in body before Alchemus and Bacchiades, as, they, as to ask for just terms. The Hasidians, now these are the Hasidim, these are the righteous ones, the pure ones. Uh, I believe these are the precursors of the Pharisees. Uh, these men fought beside first uh, Matithiah and then his son Judas in defending the Jewish faith. So they are heroes, but they are naive. Uh, listen to what they think. Uh, they were the first among the Israelis to seek peace from them, for they said, A priest of the line of Aaron has come with the army. He will not harm us. So they think just because this man's bloodline comes from Aaron, that's a good enough reason to trust that nothing bad will happen. Well, they were wrong, and they paid for it with their lives. It says, But he seized 60 of them, killed them in one day in accordance with the word that was written. Quote, the flesh of your faithful ones and their blood, they poured out all around Jerusalem and there was no one to bury them. And that seems to be uh, kind of a generic um, reference or allusion uh, to several prophecies uh, about this time period. Verse 18, then the fear and dread of them fell on all the people, for they said, There is no truth or justice in them, for they violated the agreement and the oath that they swore. Then Bacchiades uh, withdrew from Jerusalem and encamped in Beth Zaith, and he sent and seized many of the men who had deserted to him, some of the people, and killed them and threw them into a great pit. 
He placed Aptimus in charge of the country and left with him a force to help him. Then Bacchiades went back to the king. So Bacchiades, who is a Greek Syrian, the commander of this force, he feels that he's accomplished his given task. He was supposed to go down and install Alchemus as the new high priest and leader of the Jewish nation. Uh, he leaves him with what he assumed was a sufficient military force to protect him. Well, again, uh, they did not reckon for God being involved in the story. Because verse 21 reports, Alchemus struggled to maintain his high priesthood. And all who were troubling their people joined him. They gained control of the land of Judah and did great damage in Israel. Yehuda saw all the wrongs that Alchemus and those with him had done among the Israelis, and it was more than the Gentiles had done. So given all the things that the pagan Macedonian Syrians have been doing for the last 12 years, shall we say, Judas feels that what Alchemus is doing is worse than that because he's an insider trying to corrupt Judaism, taking it away from its Jewish uh, religious roots and uh, taking it over into Hellenism, into Greek worship rites. And so he's not going to stand by and let that happen. Verse 21, So Yehuda went out into all the surrounding parts of Judea, taking vengeance on those who had deserted and preventing those in the city from going out into the country. So he ramps up the war again, even more. This time it's against these renegade Jews. When Alchemist saw that Yehuda and those with him had grown strong and realized that he could not withstand them, he returned to the king and brought malicious charges against them. So Alchemist tucks his tail between his legs, heads back to Antioch, uh, to Demetrius and says, uh, these guys won't let me be their high priest. They won't let me be the leader. You've got to do something about that. So Demetrius continues the Syrian-Macedonian war against the religious Jews for another year. That brings us to the winter of 160 uh, BC. And uh, this is uh, what happens. Uh, Yehuda defeats the military forces of Demetrius, but comes to the conclusion that he needs to get somebody else on his side. Now, this, I believe, was a grave error. Uh, up to this point, Judas has depended completely upon God as he's fulfilled the scripture of the book of Daniel in that respect. But suddenly, as the war gets drawn out even longer, he decides it would be a good idea to enter into an agreement with the Romans who did not get along with these Macedonian Greeks, these, or these Macedonian Syrians. So 1 Maccabees 8 starts with this introduction. It says, Now Yehuda heard of the fame of the Romans, that they were very strong, and were well disposed toward all who made an alliance with them, that they pledged friendship to those who came to them, and that they were very strong. 
Now the Maccabee writer then goes into some examples of that strength. Verse 13, those whom they wish to help and to make kings, they make kings. And those whom they wish to depose, uh, they've been greatly exalted. Yet for all this, not one of them, meaning an individual Roman, has put on a crown or worn purple as a mark of pride. Now what he's describing is, at this point, the Romans are in their republic phase. They don't have hereditary kings. This is what they have instead, verse 15. But they have built for themselves a senate chamber, and every day 320 senators constantly deliberate concerning the people to govern them well. They trust one man each year to rule over them and to control all their land. They all heed the one man, and there is no envy or jealousy among them. Now, that is an exaggeration there at the end. There was a lot of political intrigue within the Roman Senate. But he does describe the consular system. There were two consuls that were elected every year in Rome, and they exercised the authority uh, for the group. Now, the Maccabee writer only focuses on the senior member of that partnership, and we know that one of them was typically senior. Uh, so it's a, a fair assessment of what Judas was aware of regarding the Romans. So what does he do? Verse 17. So Yehuda chose Eupolemus, son of Ionan, son of Akos, and Jason, son of Eleazar, and sent them to Rome to establish friendship and alliance and to free themselves from the yoke. For they saw that the kingdom of the Greeks was enslaving Israel completely. They went to Rome, a very long journey. They entered the Senate chamber and spoke as follows. So this is the address of the Jewish uh, embassage, the, the group sent by uh, Judah to the Senate. Yehuda, who is also called Maccabeus, and his brothers and the people of Jews, have sent us to you to establish alliance and peace with you so that we may be enrolled as your allies and friends. So the proposal pleased them, and this is a copy of the letter that they wrote in reply on bronze tablets and sent to Jerusalem to remain with them there, a memorial of peace and alliance. Very typical uh, Roman peace treaty that we're about to hear from here of the time period. Also the procedure. Uh, once the Senate approved of this, the terms of the alliance would be produced on a bronze plaque, which would be placed in the Senate House uh, or in the Forum, while a copy of that plaque would be sent to whoever the alliance was made with that they could uh, then display. And so here are the terms. Verse 23, May all go well with the Romans and with the nation of the Jews at sea and on land forever, and may sword and enemy be far from them. If war comes first to Rome or to any of their allies in all their dominion, the nation of the Jews shall act as their allies wholeheartedly, as the occasion may indicate to them. To the enemy that makes war, they shall not give or supply grain, arms, money, or ships, just as Rome has decided, and they shall keep their obligations without receiving any return. In the same way, if war comes first to the nation of the Jews, the Romans shall willingly act as their allies, as the occasion may indicate to them. 
and to their enemies there shall be uh, there shall not be given grain arms money or ships just as Rome has decided and they shall keep these obligations and do so without deceit uh, so what we have here is a mutual assistance treaty both sides agree that they are the automatic allies of the other and they will immediately be involved in any type of fight that comes up uh, because uh, of their partner being attacked. Uh, now, Rome had already been involved in relationships with the Jews before. Uh, the Jews had sent some sort of uh, embassage to Rome to ask if they would honor the Jewish faith. Uh, should the Romans come farther into the region, and the Romans had agreed that they would. So that's part of the reason, probably, that Judas felt comfortable reaching out to them uh, to be a protector of the, of the uh, Jewish faith. Uh, but this needs to be understood to get a proper frame for what happens as we move into the New Testament era. Because I constantly hear people referring to the Romans as invaders and oppressors of the Jewish people. And that is not what happened. Uh, yes, there were some problems along the way, but the reality is that starting at this time, the Jewish people voluntarily became allies, compatriots with the Roman Republic and maintained that relationship right up to the time of Pompey when they will ask Pompey to act as an arbiter in internal disputes within their nation. And that is going to be the reason the Romans become more involved in Jewish affairs at that time period, because of this long-standing relationship that Judas entered into at this date. So just keep that in mind. Verse 29. Thus, on these terms, the Romans made a treaty with the Jewish people. If, after these terms are in effect, both parties shall determine to add or delete anything, they shall do so at their discretion, and any addition or deletion that they make shall be valid. So, in other words, this is a treaty that will be revised as needed. Now, listen to this last part, though. Remember that Judas is reaching out to the Romans because he personally feels that Demetrius and Alchemus and Bacchiadis are causing so much trouble that the Jews may not survive on their own without a partner. So verse 31, concerning the wrongs that King Demetrius is doing to them, we have written to him as follows. Why have you made your yoke heavy on our friends and allies, the Jews? If now they appeal again for help against you, we will defend their rights and fight you on land and on sea. Now that's pretty clear. The Roman Republic tells Demetrius, if the Jews ask us for help, we will step into this war and we will defend them. And uh, the threat is very clear. You don't want to tangle with the Roman Republic. The uh, Romans had actually pushed uh, the... Uh, Macedonian Syrians farther, farther back uh, into the center of their own territory uh, over the last couple of generations. Uh, 
And so this is a real threat that's coming from Rome uh, on behalf of the Jews. This takes us then to 159 BC in the spring of that year. First um, Maccabees 9. In the first month of the 152nd year, they encamped against Jerusalem. So this would be the Macedonian Syrians. Uh, then they marched off. They went to Beria uh, with 20,000 foot soldiers and 2,000 cavalry. So that's a pretty good body of uh, military. Now, Yehuda, Judas Maccabee, was encamped at Elisa, and with him were 3,000 picked men. Now, think about how that ratio is so far off. Uh, Judas has... 3,000 foot soldiers to 20,000 foot soldiers. That's bad enough. But the uh, the Greeks, the Macedonians, also have another 2,000 horse soldiers, which Judas doesn't have. Verse 6, when they saw the huge number of the enemy forces, they were greatly frightened and many slipped away from the camp until there was no more than 800 of them left. So now they've gone down to less than 1,000. 800 of them uh, that are trying to face this overwhelming force. When Yehuda saw that his army had slipped away and the battle was imminent, he was crushed in spirit for he had no time to assemble them. So he can't muster more forces. He can't reach out to the Romans to ask for assistance. So verse 8, he became faint, but he said to those who were left, let us get up and go against our enemies. We may have the strength to fight them. But they tried to dissuade him, saying, We don't have the strength. Let us rather save our lives now. Let us come back with our kindred and fight them. We are too few. So his associates are saying, Judas, we've got to back out of here. We've got to do a strategic withdrawal. We have to retreat. We cannot fight these guys. They are too many. But, verse 10, Jehuda said, Far be it from us to do such a thing as to flee from them. If our time has come, let us die bravely for our kindred and leave no cause to question our honor. Now, in our studies of Judas, we have seen him be such a marvelously faithful man, trusting in God and overcoming overwhelming odds because of that. I cannot help but notice, it jumps off the page at me, he doesn't talk about God in this context. He has, for some reason, given up on God being the one that will protect them. He's reached out to the Romans instead. And so what happens next is he attacks an overwhelming force without the assistance of God. I, I, I really do believe that. Verse number 11, Then the army of Bacchides marched out from the camp, took its stand for the encounter, the cavalry was divided into two companies. The slingers, the archers, went ahead of the army, as did all the chief warriors. Bacchides was on the right wing, flanked by the two companies. The Fangalex uh, advanced to the sound of the trumpets, and the men of Yehuda also blew their trumpets. The earth was shaken by the noise of the armies. The battles raged from morning until evening. Yehuda saw the Bacchides and the strength of his army were on the right. Uh, then all the stout-hearted men went with him, and they crushed the right wing. And he pursued them as far as Mount Azotus. 
when those on the left wing saw that the right wing was crushed, they turned and followed close behind Yehuda and his men. The battle became desperate, and many on both sides were wounded and fell. So Judas pushes against one side because that's where he sees uh, Bacchides. He wants to take him out. Uh, and he pushes that side back. But unfortunately, that left the other side of the enemy forces the chance to pivot around behind him, and he gets caught in a classic pincherman movement, uh, and he ends up losing almost all his men. And verse 18 then tells us this, Yehuda also fell, and the rest fled. The first big defeat for Yehuda or for Yehuda and it's actually the day that he dies as well. Let's wrap this up in the next couple of minutes here uh, and say goodbye to the hero Yehuda. Verse 19, Then Jonathan and Shimon took their brother Yehuda and buried him in the tomb of their ancestors in Modain. And they wept for him. All Israel made great lamentation for him. They mourned many days and said, How is the mighty fallen, the Savior of Israel? Now, the rest of the acts of Yehuda and his wars and the brave deeds that he did and his greatness have not been recorded, but they are very many. And after the death of Yehuda, the renegades, remember those are the ungodly Jews, emerged in all parts of Israel. All the wrongdoers reappeared. In those days, a very great famine occurred and the country went over to their side. Bakides chose the godless and put them in charge of the country. They made inquiry and searched for the friends of Yehuda and brought them to Bakiades, who took vengeance on them and made sport of them. And so there was great distress in Israel, such as has not been since the time of the prophets ceased to appear among them. So this is the worst time since the close of the Old Testament, since the time of Nehemiah. And these guys are doing reprisals against anybody that had been supportive of Yehuda during the last several years. And so everything looks dark. Everything looks dreary. Verse 28, Then all the friends of Yehuda assembled and said to Jonathan, Since the death of your brother Yehuda, there has been no one like him to go after our enemies and Bacchiades and to deal with those of our nation who hate us. Now, therefore, we have chosen you today to take his place as our ruler and leader to fight our battle. So Jonathan accepted the leadership at that time in place of his brother Yehuda. So we have a new leader amongst the religious Jews, the man Jonathan or Jonathan. And he will be very effective. Uh, he will not accomplish quite the same types of deeds as his brother Judas did, but he will still be a great hero of the faith. So I will hope to have you tomorrow as we continue this study of the heroes of the Hasmonean period.